All right, so who would like to go first? Any questions, uh, any reflections that came to your mind as you were listening to this today? It's not like um, um, I was talking with the sister before our circle uh, about something that's been on my mind uh, lately and something that I was reflecting on on our, my way here, and that is the, uh, the pervasive infantilization of women within our Islamic culture and within the Islamic literature. And I wanted to know, uh, what are some effective ways that we can combat that? You know, I, I think that, well, I have this theory that, you know, a lot of times we keep thinking that if we come up with some laws, then it's gonna change things. Or if we can just pick it enough, then we are gonna change things. But two things really need to happen. The people who are the so-called oppressors, something needs to change in them. And also, the people who are the so-called oppressed, something needs to change in them. Now, when you can get both ends to change at the same time, then it happens very quickly. But it still means that unless and until those people who, who see themselves as minorities or inferior, if they don't change how they see themselves deeply and profoundly, nothing else is going to change. Even if you change laws, it's, nothing is going to change. But even if the laws don't change, if you change within yourself, then you have a way of navigating through the world where you still get what Allah wants for you because you're creating this other world for yourself outside of the one that um, other people think that they're living. That's just my theory. Yeah. And that's what I've been practicing to try to see if it's a reality. And so far, so good. So, that, so much so that when I go through the world in a certain manner. It's kind of like going through with the protective bubble on you. So I'm often asked, well, how do I respond to Islamophobia? And it has nothing to do with me. Um, and it's not that it don't exist. It's just not the way I walk through the earth. I walk through the earth knowing that I am innately worthy. And how did I get to that point? I had to actually say that over and over and over and over and over again until it became part of, of my reality. And as it became part of my reality and I started to go out in the world like that, then everything met me in that same way. How long would you say that process took you when you were repeating it? Took me a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Took me some years. Mm -hmm. I'm only 10 years within this process. Oh, wow. So for 50 years of my life, I was just miserable, wow. unhappy most of the time. Been the last 10 years of my life have been the best 10 years. Alhamdulillah. Awesome. Inshallah, there'll be another 60. Inshallah. I'm a believer in continuation, and if you had the opportunity to hear Sister Nayawiya's first talk, um, it was the type of talk that you wanted to hear the next part, right? And so, um, in case you guys don't know, we've known each other all our lives, Nayawiya and I, and um, we have a couple of other alumni here. And um, I begged, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I begged. I was like, please do part two. And every other Katiba, I'll say the same thing. Please do part two, part three, part four. Because it's so enlightening. Um, and this part two, I don't know, I think part two be part one. <laughs> I, I just loved every minute, and I want to thank you um, for listening and having a part two to give us.
see some new faces. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's amazing being here. I just flew in from Philly. I'm not from around here, but I was like, oh, I can fly in early and actually make it, which is so cool. First time here. That was incredible. Um, and I think um, the part that hit me the hardest was probably when, well, all of it, but also <laughs> when you said um, that people who tend to see us in, a, in the light of servitude don't make room for our success. And um, you mentioned that it's a community thing and sometimes it's uh, in our work and stuff like that. But how do you start combating it when it's like at home? Um, because like I'm, I'm kind of first gen, like I, I came into the US when I was like four. And uh, I, I've heard it talked about as like the African tax by Trevor Noah. <laughs> your parents, when they start seeing you as um, slowly coming into your own and stuff like that, um, they're like, okay, pay the tax, which is basically like you're the person who takes care of the whole family now. Um, and so they don't really make room for that success. There's always this little ceiling. How do you start, you know, um, I don't know, how do you start pushing back against that? And how do you know when their response is just rhetoric or if they really are saying, well, it's my right as a Muslim parent or something, I don't know where the line is. Um, so how do you find those lines? How do you establish boundaries essentially? And uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you for asking that question. That's what I was saying. Oh, cool. You're so cool. Everyone here is so cool. Sorry. Because I'm, 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 I'm proposing that this is not a, a way of pushing back. It's just a way of being and let other people fall in wherever they want to fall in with however you want to be with your life. So there's no fighting, there's no, you know, and it will be some very lonely times and you will wonder, am I doing the right thing? Um, but you start to feel this freedom and this exhilaration about life and what you're doing. And it's like the family is the hardest part because they, want you to stay in place. And when you don't, it becomes problematic for them, but it cannot be your problem. So there's no pushback, just live the life that you're called to live. Don't push back, don't fight, no need to disrespect, just live your life. It's a great question and um, actually, uh, a friend of mine was telling me that she read this book on that topic and that um, you're essentially supposed to practice your new self in the outside areas and the last place where you practice it is within your family because that's there there's so much at stake there for those other people that they will put up so much resistance that you first practice you know being that new self oh you don't want to tell yeah. them that that's what you're right. doing you just want to live your life you just live your life and they'll start to see right. okay you know right. but you just live your right. life um it's it's going to be hard for them not to see it um, but you don't have to announce it. Right. No, you just live your life. Um, because you're not, you, it's because the, the, when it comes to authority, the tug of war of, of fighting with them gives them power still. Right. So you just want to just live and be happy and go towards those things that, that cultivate that. And you'll see that they'll start to, well, for me, it meant that many people in my family just, just kind of release themselves. Yeah, that's a great point. Assalamu alaikum. Um, I missed most of the speech, so excuse me, but I just um, curious about the opposite end of that question. With family, what you're saying makes perfect sense, and with my experience, that works the best. Um, but with society, I find that I keep finding myself um, trying to balance my spiritual practice and my faith 
with activism specifically with politics and the current climate. Um, when the first Muslim ban was passed, it completely wiped out my own, my focus on my personal life because up until that point, you know, the election came and Trump won and I really tried to just focus on living my life. And it went fine until the Muslim ban passed. And then I went from focusing on living my life and being happy and trying to stay positive to realizing that if I didn't fight back, if I didn't push back, they would get away with a bunch of tyranny. And I mean, that wasn't a full win. They came out with a second Muslim ban and they got away with that second one. But I don't think that as a community, if we didn't push back on that, that we, would have made, that we wouldn't have made that much progress. I think they would have got away with the first ban. So for me, after seeing that, I really struggle with staying focused on my spiritual practice and remaining just pacifistic and happy and joyous. And at the same time, knowing that I'm doing everything I can as an activist, being as vocal as possible, never letting institutional corruption get away with everything that they get away with, especially as a female, as a Muslim, as someone who is you know, yelling from the margins. I guess, how do you find balance in fulfilling what you're supposed to do as a community member, especially from a community that you think is being treated terribly, um, and then still balancing, okay, maintaining your faith. Um, just how do you, I mean, I know the priority is put your faith first above everything, sure. And in theory, it sounds great, but in practice, I don't think I'm doing it right because I, <laughs> okay, okay. My, I'm my definitely, first question to it's you, definitely affecting my faith. My first question to you, where did you get that, I know, put your faith above everything else, where did that come from, that idea? Where did that come from? That might be a conditioning or something that you've been talk, mm -hmm. taught that, you know, you know, and what does that mean, my faith? Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to analyze all of those things. Mm -hmm. Once again, it's, it's a matter of, of thinking very critically about what it is you're doing and the results that you see yourself getting. Second of all, what, there's a balance between proactivity and reactionary, uh, and being reactionary. Mm -hmm. So if wrong is being done, we are supposed to speak out against it. But that, ha but that has nothing to do with us. You, you don't have to be emotional or like, or like if I don't get what I want in the end that I'm just going to fall apart. There is no reason to still fall apart. Things have to be responded to. Injustices must be responded to, but they don't have to be reacted to. And if you could find a way of separating those two like that, then your faith will remain intact. It will remain intact. There's no, there's no, um, there's still, once again, there's no fighting and pushback. There is just doing the right thing for the right reason, under the right circumstances, and it all comes back to you the way that you want. Um, thank you again for your khutbah. I have a question, but also I just wanted to address yours. I can't quite see you, but I thought it was a really good one, and it's something that I struggle with too. And something that helps me is I try and remind myself that like fighting for justice is an act of faith, and that like the work I do as an activist and as an organizer isn't separate at all from my belief in God and my, my practice of Islam. Um, and yeah, and that fighting for justice, it's a, I think it's a really critical tenet of our faith. So I think that, well, anyway, I like to think that I am 
fulfilling my duty as a Muslim when I fight for myself and for others. So hopefully that helps you too. Um, my question is about making space for like negative feelings within yourself um, because I like try really hard to practice gratitude and to be grateful and to always like, you know, to block out shame or anger, etc. But sometimes I find myself suppressing those emotions, which isn't healthy either. So I'm curious about how you approach that. Thank you. A method that I use that at first it took me a long time to control that, but it happens. So instead of beating up on yourself, you say, I'm going to give this well, however long you need. Three days is usually a very Islamic way of looking at it. I'm going to give this negative emotion three days to exist. After that three days, it's over. I'm moving on. After a while, I could, now I could do it within an hour. I'm giving this emotion an hour, and then after this, I'm letting it go. But it takes practice, and you have to give it a time limit. That's how I, I, I address those things. It's a great question, because I, and I think um, negative emotions linger when we don't acknowledge them and validate them, but we don't necessarily have to have them validated by someone else. Um, so one thing that I've been doing is journaling. Um, and it's a great way because you're actually putting these feelings into concrete matter and you're reading it. Um, and it's a great way to acknowledge your own pain and validate it and heal from it. Um, because as our last khatiba, uh, Nur Jahan, was telling us, um, she has this process where she will just lay on the floor on her back and she'll tell God, you know, I'm surrendering myself to you and just allow herself to feel all of the feelings in her body um, fully and then she'll let go. Um, so you're right in that, you know, you shouldn't suppress it. You should feel it, um, but it also has to be something that you're putting in God's hands to, to lift from you. One thing that I find really beneficial, because for me personally, I have been through a lot, and I don't want to take all this time to tell you guys my story. I know everyone has a story, but one thing that I find really, really helpful is actually reading the Quran and praying to rakas and just cry to Allah. Like, that's one thing. I was always um, an okay Muslim, but... You know, like I said, I have been through a lot. I have sickle cell, and the doctors didn't think I was going to make it even to age 20, and all those things. You know, it's been a, a huge battle, you know? So one thing that I do is just when I feel like crying, and I have done the yoga thing, I have done Pilates, meditation, you name it, everything I have tried. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, when I feel like crying, it's like God is, when I took upon myself saying that God is going to be my best friend, this is it for me, you know. When I feel like crying, it's my form of meditation. I will go pray to Rakas and sit down, cry in front of Allah. Tell him everything that I'm feeling, like, you know, help me. You said if we come to you for help, you will be there. You will answer us. So here I am, being vulnerable. I'm asking you for help right now. Help me through this process. And all my friends always tell me, you know, you have such a positive outlook in life with everything that you are going through. How do you do it? That's how I do it. I will sit down and read the Quran, read the definition, ponder open what God told us to do, everything. Things started lining up for me. Everything started getting better one day at a time. So try that and see. It will make a difference. Um, and, and that was my point. The part of the joy of, finding, of, of nurturing a soul is finding out what you require, what works for you. So all of the suggestions, they're all good suggestions as far as I'm concerned. You know, when I say something, I'm telling you what I do. That works for me. That may not work for you.
So find what works for you, and that's what I'm telling you. Find what works for you. The point is just to know that you're worth doing that. And that was the point that I wanted to make. She told me I could go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surf too. I'm not that good yet. <laughs> Anyone else? All right. Um, thank you so much. This is my first time coming, and I am so, so glad. It was so empowering, and um, recently... I have. I feel like I've been going through some doubts and just questions that haven't really come up in myself about Islam and about the female, like women's place in Islam specifically. And um, I've always been like a big advocate for women in Islam, and I'm always the first one to tell others like why we wear the hijab and things like that. But recently, I've been like very much questioning where this actually comes from and what like where the things I'm learning has come from. And I've realized that a lot of it is from men's perspectives and just such a lack of female scholarship. And so I w I'm trying to relearn a lot of the things that I've taken for granted and relearn it from a more female inclusive perspective, I guess. And that's why this was so empowering for me. And I just want to say thank you so much for even giving us this space. But... Um, I wanted to ask, is there any suggestions that you have for somebody like me who's trying to relearn parts of Islam that I've always known but not really understood very deeply? Like, how do I, uh, where can I start learning more about, like, the female aspects um, from more, like, female scholars? Is there any suggestions you have? Um, there are uh, quite a few over the last 20 years, quite a few um, scholars who work in um, Islamic studies. Um, who have written, written some really great um, material, such as um, Asma Barlas, such as um, um, Leila Ahmed, and um, you know Amina Wadud and Rifat Hassan. Everything she writes is amazing. So I would start there. It is considered by mainstream Islam to be um, n not as important, but it's, an, it's important to us. And the scholarship is magnificent, and it will give you such a sense of empowerment and, and purpose that I, I suggest that everyone begin to read those those scholars. I can provide a list of, uh, and um, perhaps we could uh, post it. There are also online courses, and so there's Rabata um, that uh, Sheikha Tamar Gray uh, runs. Um, I think she's on the East Coast, I forgot. Um, and then Sheikha Rima Youssef uh, runs uh, El Rawia Institute. All right, we'll make this the last one, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. I want to thank you so much, Nawiya. It was so enlightening, and I had to really sit up and pay attention because it's like, okay, this sister's coming with some new information, old information that seems new because we ignore it every time. I just wanted to say, and I'm saying it somewhat facetiously, but I'm also saying it very seriously. The question about how you can struggle in this society with Islamophobia being marginalized. How do you handle this? Uh, as an African-American, I can tell you, these African-Americans, these sisters right here, they got 400 years of practice in how to negotiate being marginalized in this culture. There are no surprises, including Trump. We've seen it all. And it's going to continue. And I absolutely agree with what you're saying. It's not about reacting to what somebody else is doing. It's all about the abrafi, okay? It's all about me and what I want for me 
in this world, how I want, whatever I want for my children. I've had situations where I've moved partitions in the masjid. I could have, we could have been debating about that from that time until this. I didn't need to debate it. I just needed it out of my way. You know, you know, you know, I had a situation where I went to a masjid, which was primarily Middle Eastern. And it was afterward, they had all this delicious food for sale. And we hadn't eaten in probably five or six hours by that time. The women were all standing back and the men were going forward and getting their food. And I looked and I said, well, I know some of those men are getting food for their wives, so that's wonderful. But I was standing there like, I don't have a husband here to get me some food, you know. And then I thought, my goodness, if I were a woman with my small children here at that time, if my, I had small children with me, I'm going to let my kids go hungry because somebody else has some kind of guideline. I pushed right on up in there with those men and got what I needed, you know. And I can tell you, I've rarely had anybody just be genuinely aggressive and disrespectful to me because I think sometimes women, we're our own worst enemies. Even if somebody gives you an opportunity to step forward, you go, oh no, you go first, you go first. So we, we sabotage ourselves. And I think this is the point that now we is trying to make to us. Exactly. This whole universe belongs to us, to everyone, Muslims, Christians, Jews, you name it. It belongs to all of us to use, to enjoy, hopefully to nurture and pass it on to the next generation, okay? But if you don't do what you're supposed to do while you're here, that means humanity has been stuck because you didn't move forward and step into the place that Allah meant for you to have and to accomplish the things that Allah meant for you to accomplish. So I apologize if I sound like I'm, you know, on my soapbox or whatever, but a lot of times I'm sitting in, in situations and I'm like, do people really do that? You know, and I'm just looking around and, you know, I raised three kids by myself, so believe me, I know what's going on. And so I'm just saying to all of us, give yourself permission to use the gifts that God gave you. That's what they're for. And if you don't, you're being kind of disrespectful because Allah gives you blessings, gives you intelligence and talents, and you step back and go, I can't use those. I've got to let somebody else validate me first. You know, so. I did want to make one quick point. When you spoke of the, um, the hadith and all of the great scholars, we're talking 1100, 1200, 1300. This is hundreds of years after the Prophet Muhammad, blessings, peace be on him, came. And unfortunately, I'm finding that an awful lot of scholarly information and unfortunately an awful lot of hadith, they can't be authenticated from what I've read in Quran. So I have to step away from some of that as well. It's really keeping me pretty busy with my five daily prayers, trying to read, <laughs> you know. So I can't get into those other things. I just don't have the, the, I don't have enough brain cells left at the end of the day to do that, you know. But I, I wanted to make the point when you said the, and this is my soapbox, when the Muslims began with the philosophy and learning thing, and they based it on the Greeks, okay? I have to say it again, I did it in a kutpa. The Greeks did not invent those philosophies. They went into ancient Egypt, and they studied there 2,000 years. They were in Egypt studying, 
and took those things back, Aristotle and all the rest of them. So I, I just have to say it because it's true, okay? So it's not, I guess part of the problem is we need to make sure we go back to the source. And the source is where Allah created the first humans and gave the first guidance. And it's going to be the same guidance from that time all the way until the day of judgment. So we need to just start at the beginning. Great point. I feel like I got a mini chutzpah. You're, you're going to come back for another one, right? <laughs> she already gave one or two. Oh, okay. So it is time. All right. We'll put you back on the roster. <laughs> but you know that you made a, a great point, And that's something that I like to think about because when Trump was getting elected and everyone was freaking out, um, I think a lot of people burnt out in the moment in the, you know, with everything that was going on. But I always think back, you know, basically we can't burn out because it's not, we're not doing this for the result. We're doing it for the sake of Allah. And I always think back to the first slaves in America and they didn't want to be in slavery. They were praying for freedom. Did they see it in their lives? No. Did the next generation see it in their lives? No. And like how many generations did it take of how many people praying and working until it finally happened? So it's not our place to, um, to burn out or to, I, I mean, you know, I understand how you feel, but it's not our place to give up hope. Um, you, we have to do it for the sake of Allah and do our part. And the result happens when Allah says it's time to happen. Um, so I think we have to leave that in, in God's hands and, and just maybe make inner peace with it. You can still struggle with your hands and, you know, speak out with your tongue and take action. But inside, still be in a state of peace and be in a state of connection with with God. It's very hard to follow those um, amazing words from both of you, but I just wanted to say that the image of what it is that stunts my soul um, really hit me hard, and that that could be something I could um, find through critical thinking uh, and creativity, and it scared me a little to really look at that and see what those things are, um, but I'm very grateful for your words and your experience. Yeah, fear is the major um, obstacle, but on the other side of fear is everything you ever wanted. <laughs> so you have to face it and go through it. On the other side of fear is everything you ever wanted. So you have to go through it. Yeah. All right, well please tweet that. We're gonna tweet that from our account. <laughs> Um, all right, so to end, I'm going to pick someone to just say a dua from the heart. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasanatahum wa fil akhirati hasanatahum. Waqina azab al-nar wa atqilna al-jannata ma'arabrar. Ya zizu ya ghafar ya rabbil alameen. Allah bless this gathering. Allah bless the beautiful sermon. And let the guidance of the words enter our hearts and help us reflect on the meanings and empower us and help us in our struggles because through our struggles we find strength. Allah, connect us to our resources. Allah, help us go deeper into connecting with you and with our fellows. And help us see the expansive nature within ourselves and help us not make ourselves small. And help us to find you within ourselves and not 
feel empty because you are closer to us than we know. Allah bless the gathering, Allah bless all the people who strive to be here, Allah bless the organizers, Allah we send blessings on the Prophet and all the Prophets and all the angels, Allah help us, Amin. <laughs>